Hello and welcome to the next episode in the Women's Energy Council podcast series. Today I'm speaking with Christine Holmes, partner at Apollo Global Management. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we will be discussing Christine's work with Next Generation Tech and the impact on the energy industry of the future, the impact of ESG on investment decision making today, and the upside of sometimes being the only woman in the room. So Christine, lovely to have you with us this afternoon. I wanted to start a little bit and just ask you, I guess, about your journey. What sparked your interest in private equity kind of and or energy? How did you get to where you are today? So I actually, I think the private equity part of it was probably more of a thoughtful decision than the energy part. I really came into finance generally out of college, just looking to understand investing and how the world worked a little bit better by going into investment banking. And I really wanted to be in a sector group. I thought it was interesting to get closer to the companies, have more interaction directly with the companies and understand how they think about projecting their businesses, which just felt like I'd be able to do a little bit better in a sector group. And so through some people I'd met through the recruiting process, I ended up in the power and utilities group, which I found really interesting because power and utilities, they're both power, but we're quite different from kind of market dynamics and how you think about each deal. I really enjoyed getting to work closely with management teams. And then what I didn't like is I didn't like kind of as many people who end up in private equity, the doing all the work and then passing it off and forgetting about it for a couple of years. So I really wanted to be in a role that I still did all of that thoughtful work up front, but I was kind of aligning myself with management and riding through that journey with them um, once we made the investment. And so that's really how I got into private equity is just seeing all the different types of deals that you were working on in banking these were the ones that interested me the most. And then throughout time, I've kind of, while I'm in a very sector specific thing right now, obviously, in my mind, I've kind of broadened my focus over time. So I was in power and utilities, then I went and started investing more broadly in more upstream, downstream, midstream type deals. And then now kind of look at full natural resources, well, energy value chain from the traditional upstream, midstream, downstream to people that manufacture components or design technology that used in those parts of the value chain. Okay. Is that what kind of keeps you interested and and keeps you wanting to work there is kind of that alignment with management and I guess the variety of deal making? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that there's just, every deal is, is different. Every situation is different. And so whether that's, we can do different structures or it's in a little bit of a different part of the sector or it's in a different region. So I think kind of everything is always changing. like when you talk to people that are looking to come into the sector and they ask you, what's your average day like? And I just like that you can't really answer that because every, every day is a little bit different and you're always thinking about things differently. I think the other thing is in energy, and we're seeing this now, obviously, and sometimes it's stressor, but it's an always changing landscape itself. And so what the energy industry looks like today isn't what the energy industry is going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years. And so just as things change, whether it's political climate or pricing climate or or what have you, there's just always something different to be thinking about. So you're not kind of just stuck looking at the same thing the same way year after year. Sure. With with the kind of variety of deals that you're working on, whether it be upstream, downstream, renewables, power, et cetera, or the region, is there any in particular that really stand out for you that have been particularly kind of enjoyable deals or projects to work on? So I've spent a lot of time over the past two years meeting with people, and they haven't really been a lot of deals just because of what we've been looking at, but meeting with people about how technology is going to impact the sector. So 
getting to meet with a bunch of different people at various startups or VC funds and just discussing what they're seeing and, and what could change in the sector. And then also bringing that back to our portfolio companies. And so it's been really interesting because one, we have been looking for deals in the space, but obviously a lot of those deals are earlier stage just based on the fact that VCs are invested in them. But also it's just been an interesting opportunity to talk to a totally different group of people that are so close to the industry and are really visionaries on how things are going to change. And then bringing those benefits back to our portfolio companies and being able to see some instances people say, oh, that was a really cool technology. And we went and used it on this well, and it's working really well and helping them form kind of community among themselves to share these kind of leading edge ideas has been really rewarding as well. So I think that's, you know, that's one that I wouldn't have thought of 10 years ago coming into this would be something I'd be working on, but has been really interesting. I think it's a great point. We've been doing a series of debates, one of which is looking at uh, the kind of rate of technology adoption within the industry, which historically sometimes has been slower than in others. So I think the ability to kind of share that kind of information and knowledge with the portfolio companies must be really useful to them. Yeah, I will say, though, it's also seen a lot of those studies on the rate of change as well. And it's been interesting. And then it's been frustrating at the same time, because you do see something that seems like it's a great idea that works really well. And I think sometimes they're just hard to implement. And sometimes there's just a resistance to the change or got to change some systems around. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how the current environment impact that adoption rate. And if there's any acceleration that we see coming out of the backside of COVID here. Yeah, it's that kind of takes me on to my next question around you know, the last few months have thrown pretty large hurdle at the energy industry and certainly the oil and gas industry. What do you think this will mean for the future of the industry and the impact on the industry moving forwards, looking kind of five, 10 years ahead? It's interesting because I think, you know, the last few months have thrown a wrench in a lot of industries, obviously, almost every industry out there. I think what's interesting for energy is I think a lot of the answer I'd give of where we're going to be in five or 10 years hasn't necessarily changed. Like I think the end point, I think we were all headed in that direction pre-COVID. And I think the end point is probably the same. It's just a bit of a, obviously a bumpier road and potentially even a shorter path to that end point. But I think as investors, even before COVID, people are kind of going back to the fundamentals, really focusing on cash flow generation. I think as we've all said for a while now, we're going to have to see a lot more consolidation as people realize that it's not efficient to have as many teams running around in the same basins as we have today, kind of trying to do the same thing. But I think all that means that there's going to be a lot of changes of the structure of the industry, which means there's a lot of opportunity out there for investors. And so I think that's what's kind of exciting about the shift in the industry is, you know, whether it's consolidating our own companies or being the source of capital to help leaders in the industry go consolidate around them. And I think there's going to be a lot of interesting opportunities to come. Sure. So what about for private equity more specifically then? How do you see the way PE invests and the way they work and the way you work changing? And if so, how? I think the days of, I'm going to back a management team, buy some acreage, drill a few wells and, and flip it. I think those are gone. I don't think there's a lot of people out there kind of just backing management teams with an idea like that anymore. So I think it's the focus on cash flows. I think for us, it's also, we're spending a lot of time focusing more broadly. So I, I talked a little bit about how we were figuring out what technology could impact the sector. 
but you know, what does that mean for who might be the winners as we think about this shift? So, you know, rather than viewing energy transition as a risk for our upstream investments, which is solely a risk for our upstream investments, we try to look at, all right, well, what's the investment opportunity around that theme? And so with every kind of negative theme that we see for one of our portfolio companies, we try to see if there's a way to invest around it. So whether that's not just investing in midstream for or midstream pipeline construction, but also figuring out if there's companies that we can invest in that play in the wind infrastructure value chain. And so I think it's a combination of both kind of augmenting how we look at the sectors that we've looked at in the past differently and shifting the business model that we use there, but also trying to make sure that we're playing broadly in the industry and not missing some of the themes that we view as headwinds, but are tailwinds for other potential investments. What about ESG? How much of an impact does that have on investment decision-making? A lot. I think even at our companies that companies are historical companies that we, we already have or and our new companies, we're always looking at putting together ESG impact. A lot of public companies now, as you know, are putting out ESG reports. And so it's always something that we think about both from the investment going on in, but also from what does this mean for when we ultimately want to exit in four or five years as the focus on ESG continues will that make our exit even harder? So I think there are some deals that from an ESG perspective are really difficult and we've kind of not dug into, but I think also it provides a bit of an opportunity as we think about deals that have some of that exposure that maybe are overly emphasized by the public markets. And so I think some of it is just doing the work to figure out what the real ESG impact from some of these businesses are compared to other businesses. And then making the decision from there if we want to invest and if we think there's, you know, potential exit opportunities still for the business. I'll stop grilling you (laughs) about investment criteria. And I wanted to talk as well a little bit about diversity and inclusion. So one of the reasons that we're having this conversation is obviously as part of the Women's Energy Council podcast. And I wanted to kind of understand from your perspective, you know, have you seen a change in how DNI is discussed and actioned in the industry since you started? And if yes, how? And, And if no, why do you think that is? I think from my perspective, I've seen a a major change. I think when I started, it just wasn't really discussed a lot. I'm sure it was internally someplace on somebody's list or in the back of people's minds, but I think it's discussed much more openly. I think most all institutions now have a committee or a task or full-time employees that are focused on DNI. And so I think it's more and more of a focus. I think a lot of investors are starting to focus on it as well and asking for those stats, which is probably driving some of it. So I think it's definitely getting more of a focus. There's also more and more people that are referencing studies that have been done about the positive impact of diversity at leadership levels on results, which I think is part of the driving factor here is that it's no longer touted as just kind of the right thing to do, but people are understanding and discussing the positive impact that they're seeing, the differentiation on actual outcomes. So I think that's been a big change. I think a lot of it is people are reporting their stats, right? And so they're reporting what percent of employees at X level are different male or female or races. They're reporting board members. They're really focused on the D stats, I would say. And I think there's still a lot of work to be done on making sure that we get to the I part and making sure that all of those people at the table really feel included and that their voices are heard and making sure 
that we have that inclusion is really what is driving the positive impact that you see on results. And so without the D and the I, I don't think people are going to see the fruition of better outcomes and more diverse opinions being shared unless we make sure that everybody at the table really feels like they have not just a seat, but a voice. You're sitting, I suppose, with a a foot in two industries that have historically been quite male-dominated in both finance and the energy space. Is it something that has been noticeable on your journey to your role today or, or not? You mean just the fact that there's less women in the room? I think it has been. I think it's been noticeable. I think I probably have noticed it more as I've gotten further into my career. But it's noticeable noticeable from the sense of, I always joke with some of the other women in the industry, you're in a meeting of 10 people and you're the only woman. Everybody looked at the list of attendees and knows your name when you walk in and, and you don't remember everybody's name. So it's definitely noticeable in the sense that you're often the, the only woman in the room. You definitely notice when there's a female dominated room, it's kind of like, oh, well, that was a different experience. But so it's definitely noticeable in the sense that it's not the norm to be female dominated, but it's definitely not, I wouldn't say it's been something that has had a significant impact on me. I think there are positives and negatives to it. And as long as you think about, there's different ways that a woman delivers a message than a man that can be received differently by the room. As long as you're thinking through and understanding the positives and the negatives, I think it's noticeable, but definitely kind of a negative impact on your career. I agree with the sentiment, people will always remember you in the room (laughs) because it's easy to tell which one we are. (laughs) Would you give any specific advice to women who are entering the industry, well, either the women who are entering the industry today or those who are already in it but trying to move into a more senior role? I think one of the biggest things is building a support network. And I don't mean that just from like, check the box, do the networking and kind of follow up with everybody you meet. Because I think oftentimes that leads to more of an artificial network. But I think a piece of advice that I always heard coming up in the industry, I almost think at every women's event I went to, one of the speakers would say, you know, I had to work harder, I had to work longer, I had to work better to get to the same place as the men. And I think my piece of advice would be like, put that out of your mind. Let's not kind of set a higher bar for ourselves. Go do a really good job. Your opinions don't have to be more fully baked than the guys sitting next to you. So do a good job, share your opinions. And when it comes to the end of the day and people on the team are going out for a drink, don't say, oh no, I've got to work longer than everybody else. So I'm going to stay behind. Go and take advantage of that opportunity to get to know the people around you, to get to know the senior people, how they think about things and kind of that forming kind of more authentic relationships with the people around you, because that's what's really going to be valuable later in your career. And I think, you know, the mentality of trying to work harder than the people around you just kind of sets us up for burnout situations. Agreed. I I think that's so refreshing to hear you say that. And I agree. I think so much is decided in those more informal moments in the bar or in the restaurant that evening or, you know, having more social conversations rather than being the only person left sitting in the office and missing out on those. So I would certainly agree. What are your thoughts on things like kind of sponsorship and mentoring, I guess, going that one step beyond building that network for yourself? I think obviously it's really important to have a sponsor and a mentor, whether they're, I've heard different opinions on having a mentor outside your firm versus inside your firm. I think those are all really important. I think they have to happen organically. And I think going to 
social events or going to events, just industry events, right? Like, a, all right, let's, I'll just go to an industry event that's a bunch of women in energy and see who I click with. I think that's the best way to pursue those types of relationships. I think, you know, you hear the stories about sending an email and saying, hey, would you be my sponsor? And I think that's just harder because even with the best of intentions, it's really difficult to like unnaturally form that type of a relationship where you're really fighting for someone. But it's something that we've discussed a lot because I think it's a struggle for women coming up in the industry to find mentors naturally. You naturally gravitate towards people with similar interests and people that remind you of yourself. And so we've been spending a lot of time and I don't think we've cracked the code on kind of if there are good ways that we can help set up those type of mentorship opportunities, but maybe through a hybrid way. So maybe you have ways that young women at the firm can meet a lot of different people who are interested in providing that type of leadership and then afterwards kind of organically figure out how who works for them. Um, so we've kind of viewed it more as finding more and more opportunities to interact with senior level people that could be a mentor, but I've never found kind of assigned mentors or assigned sponsors to be particularly impactful. That's my experience. I know others have probably had another experience. We've kind of looked back at, at various things. I'd like to just, for my last question, look forward. You've obviously achieved a huge amount already in your career, but what would be the one goal that you still have on your to-do list? I think there's a lot left to do in my career, obviously. I mean, you know, I've just recently, in the past year, made, made partner. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of exciting to-dos on my list of types of deals I want to do as a partner, fund results that I want to see achieved as a partner in the fund. So I think there's a lot of kind of, I guess, those boring goals. But I guess kind of much, much longer term as I think about ultimately after PE, I think I'd like to kind of find something fun to do with my time and efforts post my current career. So maybe that's a little bit of a different answer, but whether that's, I love like, for instance, me and my sister all the time, will open up a, a glass of wine and paint something together. So whether it's something, opening up a wine and paint shop or something else, just totally different, finding something that's kind of fun to do in my post PE career, I think would be a, a fun goal. Nice. Something more creative. <laughs> yeah. Less numbers. <laughs> I don't think it's unusual. I was speaking to someone else the other day on a similar interview and she was saying that she wants to be able to open a cattle farm or cattle ranch when she finishes her first career. So <laughs> I think we all have these dreams of slightly more outdoorsy, creative lives. <laughs> there's tons to do in this. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff to do in private equity. But yeah, ultimately, much longer term, maybe something a little bit more uh, creative and Agreed. Well, listen, Christine, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and wish you all the best in your, your new partner role and also look forward to seeing the creative wine and painting <laughs> side of you in years to come as well. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was a great conversation.